this is View of the Valley's podcast with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you doing today? Doing great. Glad to be here. Uh, you know, finally got some rain in the area. Baseball's starting up tomorrow night, isn't it, with uh, MLB, uh, Washington Nationals, and Dr. Fauci throwing out the first pitch. So uh, the crowd will probably go crazy tomorrow at Washington Park. Yeah, I'm sure that... Uh, it's, excuse, excuse me, it's Nationals Park. I forgot. I'm sure the... Uh the Nationals uh, behind-the-scenes crew will definitely have the fan excitement blaring through the uh, speakers. Yes, absolutely. I uh, heard mention on the radio yesterday, what happens if that guy screws up? Like, the shortstop comes up with it, throws it, and airmails it over the first baseman's head, and he accidentally hits the cheering button for the home <laughs> team making an air instead of the, oh, like you might have. Will they, will they have the noise... Like, you know, when you go to uh, a baseball game and you see a, a major league pop up and people who don't go to a lot of games, they watch the ball instead of the outfielder. Well, they have the overreaction of the crowd. Like, oh, like, no, it's, I mean, the center fielder didn't move. Did you see him? Because it was hit right to him. <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how much like fan noise they have throughout the whole game. Like, I know I was watching a little bit of the Cardinals and Royals exhibition game and I think Matt Wieters was batting, but there was a time where, like, the same crowd noise was there throughout the whole pitch for, like, three pitches in a row. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, let's take a breath at some point. <laughs> well, watch a little bit of soccer. They seem to be getting a handle on it, too. I don't know that they necessarily have the buildup when you have a big run by uh, one of the strikers, but it's still interesting to hear. So uh, you and I have both been to more – Baseball parks than most humans should go to. Sure. Have you been to Nationals Park? I have. And how does it rank for you? How does it rank? Because I think for both of us, isn't it mostly just the West Coast that we don't have? I, I have the West Coast, Toronto, and Cleveland, Detroit that I have to go to. I have Seattle, the two in LA, San Diego, Arizona, Houston, and Miami. Now, okay. Granted, I went to the old Atlanta Stadium, went to the old Texas Stadium, but still. So we're, we've been to pretty much the same parks. Pretty much the same. Um, I like Nationals Park. I think it's it's very clean. Um, mm-hmm. The the backdrop, um, you know, of the city. I mean, it, it's not as good as like, you know, PNC Park or Bush Stadium, but I still think the backdrop's nice. Um, I think where the park is located is good. But I really did like uh, the food. Uh-huh. The food was good there, and I can't remember if it was there or Houston. Uh, one of the the concession stand vendors said, well, I can tell you and you guys are father's son. You look identical. And <laughs> told my mom, and she's like, oh. But, yeah, I, I like Nationals Park, but it doesn't make my top five. Okay. Um, what were your thoughts on it? I enjoyed it. We got, I mean – it felt difficult to get to, and that may have been where we stayed in relation to Washington, D.C. Uh, found a nice little place to grab some food before the game and sat in the left field. Uh, bleachers, I think they were. They might have been seats. I forget. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a rainy day, but the, overall, it was pleasant. You know what I love doing is you, when you mention to people that like are diehards and say, you know, like, how often do you come to games and stuff like that? Like, And then they ask, well, how often do you come? And he's like, well, we're from St. Louis. What? And I mean, just, oh yeah, I've had people that were borderline annoying beforehand, but as soon as they find out, just like that, just a regular fan that's 
kind of getting on your nerves. But as soon as they find out, like, oh, they're all about it. So I learned, I think there's like, uh, I'm trying uh, trying to think of the proper term, but there's a, a pile, a waste of some sort in the right field corner, beyond the right field pole. Okay. Like, going into foul territory and they said well you got here on a great night because if it rains and then the sun comes out and the wind's blowing right you'll just compost it's, there's that compost pile out there and you're just gonna smell like well thank goodness we came on a good <laughs> night uh but i enjoyed it i enjoyed that we were able to go to washington dc take all that in and then to go to baltimore it was it wasn't a big deal you just drive down to baltimore now we spent the day down there but coming back to our hotel outside of dc that night was not treacherous or anything like that it was just really easy to do and we got to see a local native throw in baltimore the kid from highland jaco de rizzi okay so that was a pretty cool experience too uh the one thing i did i do like about nationalist park is and it's very unique compared to all the other ones um is the president's race yes i I love watching watching that and when we went to nationalist park i was very young at the time, so you know, I got a big kick out of watching uh-huh. Abraham Lincoln fall down or, right. or whichever one fell. Um, but yeah, uh, now if I'm not mistaken, because we drive to mostly all the all the games right. we go to, we flew to Arizona, but that's it. Um, I think there was some bridge you had to go over in Baltimore to get near near there. I don't know if it was coming from past baltimore and we we're making our way down but there was some sketchy bridge i think we had to go over like it was either real narrow or went like way up I don't and then recall. down they do have some big like some high bridges in that part of the country because they still have some ocean level vessels it, yeah that you know it's either that or a drawbridge and drawbridges take forever but no, i enjoyed oriole park at camden yards because i'm you know that was one of the, the first retro stadium i think still tops of my list is probably i if I had to, if I had to choose, I'd almost say Wrigley. I know that kind of goes against my cardinal fandom, Ugh. but I've been enough times. I just enjoy it. I, you know, just the 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 age of the stadium, the the history, the area around it. But right behind it, a close second is PNC Park. PNC Park in Pittsburgh was a stadium that so many people tell you, like, oh, it's so great, you're gonna love it, you're gonna love it, you're gonna love it. That you have to downplay the hype in your head. Yeah, like yeah. I don't like, yeah, yeah, because I don't want it to be. You know, you hear things about other attractions, like, it's going to blow you away. You're like, meh. So I, like, kept in my head. I kept, But we parked across the river, walked across Clemente Bridge, and then, we, I mean, just enjoyed it. Had, you know, a, a Steel City beer, which, you, you know, is a, a, a Pittsburgh thing. Sure. And, uh, you know, I just really enjoyed it. had a great night. It was the longest one nothing ball game I ever remember experiencing. Now I'm not one for hyperbole. So when I th- when I when you say is that the longest game you've ever been to, that's the game I think of. <laughs> they played the Cubs, and I felt like every inning they were full count. There was somebody on second base, and it won nothing. Well, oh my! So you think it'd be a fast game? Oh, well, you'd hope so. Oh you know? my gosh! You know, like like all the coaches we know, work quick, throw strikes. That wasn't happening that night. <laughs> the, Car- the Cardinals had a few pitchers that like in the in their past, like hey. You want to go to the game tonight? Who's pitching? So-and-so. Out. Uh, no. <laughs> no, thank you. I'll just stay we, home. We may have to do like a, like a full podcast on the stadiums we've been to as just kind of like a View of the Valley special uh, podcast, yeah, yeah. even though it has absolutely nothing to do with basketball. Right, but. right. So 
any weird stories for you? I've got one about uh, ballparks, not Bush Stadium. Like, just like kind of, what the heck's going on here? I'll give you. I'll let you think about it while I give you mine. Okay. San Francisco. We go on take your pooch to the park night, which, in my opinion, has no place in sports. Dogs are not dying to go to the stadium. Like, hey, take me to the ball game. No, they don't want that. It's just for people to show off their pets. All right. We end up in the pooch-friendly section, the left field bleachers. My oldest son, the younger two, weren't even born yet, so he couldn't have been five yet. Okay. He might have been four. He's with us, and there's dog hair floating in the air. I look at my drink one time, like, yeah, I don't need this beer anymore. There's one lady who apparently did not believe in the virtues of deodorant and the wind kicked in just the right direction. I looked over one time I did, and my son's like, dad, what's going on? One dog was taking advantage of another dog. It was just a weird experience. I just remember they were playing the Rockies. It was, I mean, I love the ballpark. The ballpark's beautiful, I'm, but that, and they had a, a, the thing that sticks out to me too, is that they had a female PA announcer, which is not common. And our son, like I said, at four years old, they were sitting there and, you know, they, she says, now batting number five, Ray Durham. My son goes, no, Albert Pujols is number five. Like, well, said if we were at, <laughs> at Bush, that would be the case. But yeah, definitely. I mean, did he recognize that? I mean, oh, I, you're wrong. I like dogs and everything, but I think if I would have found out it was bring your dog to the ballpark, I think I would have found a different day to go. I don't know if I. Well, we had bought our tickets. Well, yeah, for... hours before. On StubHub, it's like probably one of my probably my first StubHub purchase experience. You know, so we're talking what fourteen years ago. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I. Well, I I, I can tell you, I cannot top that. Um, <laughs> the closest thing I have to being weird would be when my dad and I went to Houston. Uh, this is when the Astros were just terrible. I mean, they couldn't draw anybody. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even give tickets out free to get people through the door. So we, we go to the game, and literally we're trying to find a place to park. We're like, oh, I'm sure I'm sure parking's going to be a little rough, especially around the stadium. Well, we get there. Literally, we parked right outside the stadium for, I can't remember if it was free or we paid $2. Like, literally, <laughs> it took us about two minutes to walk into the stadium, and we as we're walking in, it, you could hear a pin drop. Like, it was like uh-huh. you were in a library. You walk in, no sound on the streets. You walk through the doors, and, and it was as quiet as possible. I get the baseball sounds as you come up. But in that when you don't pay very much or at all, doesn't that make you more uncomfortable than if you got taken to the cleaners? Like, oh, someone yeah. like, 50 bucks? Like, I feel like my car will be safe. Well, now it's like, oh, okay. Two bucks, like, oh, good Lord. No he security just wants me to park here. here so he can take my <laughs> wheels. Like, what's, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, but it's fun. And I spend way too much time on StubHub and SeatGeek just like pouring over seats. There's, we went to Atlanta and it's July. And we, you know, I spent hours looking at the, you know, I'm trying to find maps and seeing how the, it's laid according to north, south, east, west. 
and knowing that I'm going to sweat like crazy in Atlanta. We get to our seats. We're in the shade. My wife goes, oh, this is nice. Like I just happened to pick seats in the shade. (laughs) (laughs) People spent less time on their doctorate dissertations than I spent looking for tickets, which is a sad state of affairs for me. But I I enjoy it. It's it's cool. And, you you know, the kind of figuring things out in a hurry when you get there as to where things are located. Oh, yeah. It's definitely uh, something I know our families enjoyed doing yeah so this is still a basketball podcast we've just talked about baseball for the last 10 minutes sorry about that <laughs> uh but this is episode 11 and during this week's episode we will discuss belmont's leading scorer from last year adam kunkel and his decision to transfer away from the university we will also do our mount rushmore on valparaiso and tennessee state kind of a light uh week for uh college basketball talk here um we do not have an interview this week uh but after this week's episode we will be taking a week off to be doing some behind the scenes stuff to the podcast and hopefully you know doing our best to make some adjustments here and there so first things first tj uh adam kunkel i mean this is probably this is the biggest news out of the ovc and belmont and probably the missouri valley as well um, Adam Kunkel transferring out of the program. He was their leading scorer last year, averaged nearly 17 points, almost three rebounds, and 2.6 assists per game. Now, I'm assuming he's transferring because he feels like he has the potential to play at a Power 5 school. Now, there have been numerous schools that have shown interest, according to Kentucky Sports Radio. Xavier, Iowa State, Creighton, Arkansas, Cincinnati, Kansas, Louisville, St. John's, and apparently Kentucky has shown some sort of interest as well. So he's got a surplus of schools that apparently have shown interest, so he's going to get picked up somewhere. Um, I would assume he'd have to sit a year and then play. Yeah, that would be a big thing is will he be able to get a waiver and play? It seems like they've been a little more liberal with that lately, especially this year, and it seems to me complete guesswork on my part it has something to do with the pandemic and like hey kids are moving for whatever reason they've been a little looser with the rules well see and it just kind of you know it boggles my mind here because uh i saw john rostein you know he he tweeted about he said you know this is a big issue now in college basketball because it's not like it's a guy coming off Belmont's bench. This is their leading scorer right. who's leaving a very good basketball program. And it makes you wonder if uh, Rick Bird was still there, would he have continued his time through Belmont? Because Rick Bird's True. a very good coach. This past year was his first year, not at, not at the helm. Correct. So, you know, did he not get along with the new head coach? You know, you don't know. But right. they still were very successful last year. Right. You know, and that... It may be all sorts of things playing into it. You know, it's 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 still a decision for that kid, but it's definitely, as a fan of a mid-major school, it's definitely something that gives you pause. Yeah, your fe- that's your fear. You know, as a, that your best player is going to go onto a bigger school, kind of like the Robbins kid from uh, Drake. Drake moving on to Minnesota. Now, obviously, we believe there's family connections or something there, but. You know, there's still that idea, and we've talked about it before. It's just that that catch twenty two. Like, well, a kid usually goes there for a coach. As much as the NCAA or people want to say, well, he's going to the school, he's going for that program, for you know the academic program. 
it's the coach he builds a relationship sure. with. And, you know, a coach can leave and, you know, go make millions of more dollars at a different school, but I'm stuck here because I agreed to come here when I was 18 or 19 years old. I, I just, I don't know what the right answer is. You know, I, I'm torn as a human, I guess you would say, as, as an adult going, well, he should be able to make that decision. And a fan of my school going, <laughs> well, I don't want X player to leave. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't, maybe Belmont will have a setback, but I think they're still in pretty good shape. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it, you know, if you're a Belmont fan, you know, you're probably like, well, this, this just flat out sucks. Lose our best player. But, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, of a player that caliber, he probably thinks he can get a, he'll have a lot more potential to move on to the next level playing in the power five. But uh, the one area I do look at is, you know, Belmont's very successful. They have their fair share of games against power five teams, upper division one level teams, and they've sh- had, you know, a lot of chances the last few years of playing in uh, the NCAA tournament or other Right, the NIT, CBI, CIT. So you tournament. think the exposure's still there for the, a kid at Belmont? Exactly, the exposure's there. They're on, you know, the premier, you know, television stations for college basketball a handful of times throughout the year. Whether that's you know against Ohio Valley competition, because if they're playing a team, you know, in the other Power Five, and it's not on a big channel it's still going to be either be on the big 10 the sec the acc network or right. whatever so the exposure is there so that's where i question well maybe there was something else behind the scenes because you haven't really seen somebody transfer out of belmont but that was also rick bird being there for 20 plus years right well i mean i think that the thought that comes to my head is does a kid like john ja morant if he gets exposed gets not exposed that's not the word if he gets better exposure early on and he ends up at a power five does he shine like he does at murray and move on to the nba you know number two pick i i don't know you know i mean but he definitely did some things we didn't see from anybody else at murray sure you know so there's that as well so you get a chance to be you know big fish in a small pond and really shine and show off what you can do but you have to be really, really good at yeah. that time too. So I, it's 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 a tough question. And that's why there's two sides to it. If it were an easy question, we wouldn't even have to have well, this discussion. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's multiple answers, questions, or yeah, so many different scenarios. Um, but I believe you said you saw something about the Ohio Valley in the the football. And- the Ohio Valley is they want to play football. But they're canceling or postponing uh, Olympic sports until September 17th. I would I read that to mean a decision on them, or like maybe they'll wait till de- September 17th. And then women's volleyball and I believe soccer are going to be in conference only. But they say in the football they're not going to touch right now because of the contractual obligations. And, I, and to me, I read in parentheses that weren't there. <laughs> we have a chance to make a lot of money for our schools if we sure. can still play these games, you know, and you know, like we talked about last week, if you go to the Missouri Valley conference, uh, I think they're supposed to play. Is it, 
Missouri Valley, uh, Missouri State yeah. is supposed to have a big pay game. Yeah. You know, so that's one that they're counting on as well. And it just escapes me from when we were talking to Wyatt last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and, and that that decision there, I mean, yeah, they're basically talking about the fall sports, but in my head that has a lot to do with, you know, basketball too because depending on how laxed they get with the restrictions or whatnot for the fall sports, we'll have a lot of say on what happens for the OVC and MVC and, and hoops right. this year, whether it's non-conference, you know, traveling to, you know, multi-team events that are supposed to be out of the country or even just in a different location with, you know, other, you know, multiple teams staying in that same area. Right. And how that will play a role in that. Well, even Northern Iowa is supposed to play at the Cayman Island Classic. Excuse me. And now that's been moved stateside. They're going to play that in Niceville, Florida. So, I mean, I'm sure Northwest Florida State College is a great campus, but... If I'm a kid from Northern <laughs> Iowa, I was kind of looking forward to going to the Caymans and need experience and something you can't quite replace. But, you know, competition's the name of the game, and they got some big schools there that uh, it should be interesting to see what they can do, and hopefully they can show themselves uh, well there. Yeah, and while Northwest Florida State may not have the same publicity as the Cayman Islands, you know, it's still Florida, so I'm sure it's going to be in a very nice area and – and you're still going to be able to get the beach and all that stuff as you would there. But at the same time, you know, it's a business trip for each school. They're out there to make a name for themselves right. and, uh, you know, right. see what happens. They may like playing in an actual arena. I'm not familiar with the Cayman Island Classic, but you see some of those and you can tell they're in the casino auditorium or something. Yeah. You know, like I've been to some of the Nike clinics and they're great clinics. But they have the floor that's pieced together and they put better floors down, but it's just kind of like you get this weird feeling like, are we playing in someone's living room here? Well, yeah, you know, you, you see in the background, sometimes you can see through the tunnels, like, is that, is that a gaming casino back there? What's, <laughs> what are the odds on this game? Can I tell them that board back there? <laughs> well, it's like, because you watch it televised and you, know, you see the camera angles and you can always tell how big that ceiling is because the camera's not as high up. It's mm -hmm. like right on the floor and it's like, my gosh, I feel like they're going to. Once this game starts, they're going to shoot, and the ball's going to hit the top of the yeah. ceiling. The camera angle's the opposite of the way you feel when they show a basketball game at the Enterprise Center. Yes. The Enterprise Center, where it's the Bush Bragging Rights game or the MVC tournament, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, you're trying to get on your screen and do that thing with your – like you it's do on like, your, man, on your it's phone. it's far like away. Trying to, trying to spread your fingers. Like, <laughs> can I get a better angle of this? <laughs> But when you're there in person, it, it's, oh, I, it's not a bad seat. Yeah, yeah I, I really enjoy it. But, uh, you know, it's it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. I feel like we could come out every week and have some new COVID news and how things are being impacted by this. But it's it's kind of the world we live in until we get a, a vaccine here. At least, you know, yeah. we hope that things will change it, once we get a vaccine. Exactly. So we know that there are bigger issues in the world than how our – Sports viewing will be impacted by this, but please enjoy. Please let us have this uh, time to complain. <laughs> uh, well, moving on, we'll we'll get into our Mount Rushmore segment here. Uh, TJ has Valparaiso, and I believe this is your last one on your uh, last current, current list. MVC school, yep, and most recent addition to the conference. Okay, and I got Tennessee State. Uh, I have two teams left, which is Tennessee Tech and UT Martin, but then TJ will be doing, I think, Wichita State and Creighton. Yep. So I'll let you go first this week, TJ, with your first Valparaiso. 
Well, I think first and foremost, you think Valparaiso, you think of Bryce Drew, even if you're not a fan of the Missouri Valley or Valparaiso in particular, or if you're old enough like I am, you'll remember uh, Bryce Drew's shot over Ole Miss in 1998 NCAA tournament where they, they ran a fantastic play. And, you know, Guy Garden Bryce just got caught flat-footed because it didn't come to Bryce's Bryce right away. It was a, you know, kind of batted, kind of hit the pass back to him and hit an unbelievable shot. Second leading score, one of two guys that has over 2,000 points in school history. First in assists, second in steals. His numbers retired, played in three NCAA tournaments, and then coached at Falpo, took them to two more NCAA tournaments and two NITs. So, you know, he played for his his father when he was there. So the, the Drew name at Valparaiso is synonymous. I think it's Homer Drew Court that they play there okay. at the Arc. And uh, two-time Mid-Continent Conference Player of the Year, the MCC was the uh, what we used to call the Summit League. I think it changed in 2007. Valparaiso Hall of Fame. He's a first-round pick with the Rockets. Played in the NBA for six years and played uh, professionally a little bit after that. And again, I think he's just, he's the one that you associate with that. I think people, um, you know, would love for him to come back again. Um, but he's now at Grand Canyon University, uh, replacing the great Dan Marley out there. So again, I don't think that guy pays for a meal or a drink in the town of Valparaiso, Indiana. Oh, I'm sure he doesn't. But seeing where he's at now, I think a lot of people want to live out in the Grand Canyon area. Right, right. And by all accounts, that Grand Canyon's mission aligns with the person that Bryce Drew is, kind of the, the Christian uh, message and stuff like that. So hopefully that's a good fit for him. So first on my list for Tennessee State, uh, this is going back a ways, um, but felt like he needed to be on the list as he leads Tennessee State in most career points. But that's Dick Barnett. Uh, 3,209 points. Uh, most field goals made in his career with 1,312. Second in career rebounds with 1,571. And then also the career leader in free throws made with 585. Now, back when he was playing at Tennessee State, they were not D1 during this stretch. They were NAIA, and he was NAIA All-American three times. Wow. During that's, his stretch there. That's impressive no matter what level you're at. Be All-American three times. Yeah, and he, and he played there from 1955 to 1959. Wow. Second on my list is going back is Bruce Lindner. Played 1967 and 1970. He's eighth in scoring. He retired first in scoring, but he's now down to eighth. Uh, his number's retired. Valpo Hall of Famer. There's only two guys that have their number retired at Valparaiso. He set the single-season record for points and points per game when he scored 725 points his senior year to give him a 27.8 average. This is the, the stat I loved. Top three single-game scoring totals in program history. And he did all three of them in a 13-day period. <laughs> it's a hell of a two weeks. Yeah, yeah he, you earned your paycheck oh, for that two weeks, gosh. including the school record 51 points in one game. Now, that was coming into this season. I don't know if it has changed. I don't think that uh, Javon Freeman Liberty did anything to surpass that. But Now, now was that 51 points? That was part of that three-game stri- mm-hmm. Now, if he started out with 51 points and then went backwards, I mean, that's 
Yeah. What was he doing? <laughs> Have you ever seen, it's years ago, the old Adam Sandler uh, bit talking about Wilt Chamberlain scoring 100 points in a game. And they talk about how many points he had at halftime. You're like, so this is what it must have been like in, in Wilt's locker room. Hey, Wilt, I'm open, man. Throw me the ball. <laughs> oh, yeah. And in the other team's locker room, hey, who's guarding Wilt? <laughs> you know, I mean, you might have, you might have sent up some uh, signals. <laughs> hey, this dude scored 51 points the other day. So uh, it was also at that time, Valpo was in the Indiana Collegiate Conference. He was the MVP of the league in 1970, and he was a three-time first-team all-conference. So uh, did did some good things while he was there. Like I said, one of two guys that's had his number retired, and the other one is Bryce Drew. It's a pretty potent <laughs> career. Uh, second on my list, uh, Robert Covington, played at Tennessee State from 2009 to 2013. Eighth in points with 1,750. Seventh in rebounds with nearly... 900, number sixth in free throws with 399, and that's free throws made. Also top five in three-pointers made with 182. Now, he's had had a bunch of accolades during his time at Tennessee State. He was box two-row HBCU All-American first team twice and second team once. OVC All-Newcomer team during the 2009-2010 season. OVC first team during the 2011-2012 campaign, and he was also OVC second team twice. He's been playing in the NBA for six seasons. He went undrafted, but is currently playing in the NBA for the Houston Rockets. Has spent most of his time with the Philadelphia, or spent most of his time with the Philadelphia 76ers. So been in the league six years. Has made. 914 three-pointers in his NBA career and has started 340 out of a possible 388 games. I think we have a crossover connection there, too, because I think when Trey Meyer was on the show, he talked about that it was yeah. Dana Ford that actually was the guy that got him to Tennessee State, and obviously he's at Missouri you know, State he would now. go on to be the head coach at uh, Tennessee State before taking the job at Missouri State. So we still have that, that cross-connection that, there. And, you know, and Trey talked about it. What what a change that guy made for that oh, program. He he was he was unbelievable during his time there, and I I think that was the year when one of his years where they gave Murray State their only loss in Ohio Valley play. It may have been when they went thirty one and two. Yeah, and did didn't they? Gosh, is that the year that they that Murray beat had just I mean barely beat Tennessee State in the, the championship champ- game? Yeah. I mean it was like a last second. I mean, it came down to the wire. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the details, but that feels like that was that game. Because they had Covington. Uh, I can't think of his name. There was another guy in Tennessee State that he's not in the NBA, but he played in the G League for a little bit. I mean, that, that team with that Dana Ford had that year was, was loaded. Yeah. So uh, next on my list is probably one of the most recent guys I've had on. It's Alec Peters, played from 2013 to 2017. I think this is an easy choice because he's first in scoring and he's first in rebounding all time at the school. So I think you know those are the two major categories that you look at. And three-time first-team all-conference when they were in the Horizon League. Wow. He was also Horizon League Player of the Year and led the Crusaders to NCAA tournament appearance in 2015. And then they even went to the NIT title game in 2016. Second round pick for the Suns, and he is currently playing in Spain. 
So he's still at it. You know, obviously he's only been out of school for about three years, but you know, I think that to lead that that uh, a storied program like Valparaiso in both scoring and rebounds, a uh, uh, pretty cool thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, not too many people can say that they did that at uh, their respected school. Right, and during you know a pretty good period too. It wasn't like hey, you were the best guy on a bad team, I and mean, you're going to NCAA. I think they went to, actually went to two NITs in his time there. So uh, it, uh, you know, it is what it is. Hey, I just, I'm going to break in here. Okay. Wyatt Wheeler just tweeted a few minutes ago, Missouri Valley Football Conference uh, administrators had a Zoom meeting, and it, they're ready to proceed as scheduled. So right now the MVC Football Conference is ready to go, which is the premier Oh, for CS conference. I mean, they're the SEC. There might be the SEC and the ACC. For sure. A lot of that has to do with some Dakota schools up there. Yep. They've uh, put in the work there. I mean, then James Madison kind of gets to hang around for a little while. (laughs) So even though they're not an NBC football conference. So I apologize. I just saw that and wanted to jump in there. Oh, noted. Uh, Third on my list, Patrick Miller, also a recent guy, Tennessee State. Uh, he actually crossed paths with Robert Covington during his time, 2010 to 2014. Sixth in career points with 1,900. Uh, number two in free throws made with 555. Also had 520 assists during his Tiger career. During his four years at Tennessee State, uh, he was inserted in the lineup right away. Started all but one game during 126 games at Tennessee State. Uh, box to row HBCU All-American second team twice. Uh, OVC Freshman of the Year during the 2010-2011 season. First team All-OVC twice. And has played four seasons overseas. And let's see if I can't get this correct. Currently playing for the Bolzac Basketball Club in France. Wow. I guarantee I did not pronounce that correctly. Well, maybe. Bolzac. Don't we have? We always have listeners in the Netherlands. Yeah, maybe maybe they'll reach out and tell us whether or not we said that right. Maybe that'll be close enough that he can tell us if we. Got, <laughs> you know, people always love to tell us when we're wrong, and that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I've butchered more than my fair share of names over the years in doing PA and calling kids the wrong name in class. Like, what are you calling that? Like, I thought that was his name. It's not his name. <laughs> go well that's what we're gonna go with now (laughs) so uh speaking of mispronouncing i think i have this one right i I saw a video earlier just to see if i would get it uh lubos barton i said it wrong lubos barton you know sometimes in your head you you know this is the name this is the name this is the name and as soon as you boom it hits lubos barton i know that's right 98 to 2002 again in one of those great stretches for valpo basketball Fifth in scoring, sixth in rebounds, seventh in assists, and first in steals. So you had a stat other than block shots. Lubos is there. Valpo Hall of Famer. Uh, that was 2017. I think he was elected to that. Two-time first-team All-Conference. He was the Mid-Continent Conference Player of the Year one time. They went to the NCAA tournament three times while he was there. And he's had an extensive professional career in Europe, and he's even been a EuroLeague champion uh, won it in 2006. Oh, wow. That's so he's had some success. I'll say. Yeah, I mean, I'd, maybe maybe his uh, high school classmates don't know that, but he knows it. <laughs> and, you know, he's got that trophy up on the mantle, you know, the kiss the ring kind of deal. So I thought this was this was pretty clear-cut top four for me. That's a good one. Uh, to round out 
my Mount Rushmore for Tennessee State. Uh, Anthony Mason played at Tennessee State from 1984 to 88. Top five in points with 2,076. Number six in rebounds, 894. Top five in free throws made with 452. And also top five in field goals with 776. All OVC first team during the 1987-88 season. Now, when he was drafted into the NBA during the 1988 draft, this is when they had more than two rounds. Three rounds then? Yeah, that he was drafted in the third round by Portland. Played in the NBA for 13 seasons. Averaged nearly 11 points per contest during his NBA career. And basically, not too long after he broke into the league, well, I guess in the middle of his time in the league, during the 1994-1995 season, he was the sixth man of the year. Is that when he was with the Knicks? I believe so. Because I remember with the Knicks, they, they were the ones. Now, the Pistons kind of elevated the physicality of the league. You know, you know the, the, the famed Jordan rules and stuff like that. If you're driving a lane, you're going to get put on your tail. But the Knicks like t- took it to another level. And Anthony Mason was right there in the midst of that, that those guys and just the, the physical wars that they would have and the, you know, supporting Patrick Ewing and uh, John Starks played guard for the, that Knicks team. So, you know, a pretty, pretty impressive NBA career. I know that maybe that impressive is not the right word, but you think of like guys that kind of stand out to you. And I think Anthony Mason is one of those guys that st- stands out to you and kind of a blue collar guy, just a guy that just worked his butt off, he was going to yeah. take, you know, be physical. He's going to play defense. <clears throat> he was going to do what was asked of him and, and play, you know, at a hundred percent all the time. So, well, it, he was with the Knicks during that year and he only started 11 out of those 77 games, but it was that year that basically, Jump started his whole or the rest of his NBA career because after that, during the 95 96 season, he started all 82 games, um, averaged 42 minutes a game, which was a league lead, 42.2. Then after that, started 73, started 80 games, 81, 80, 82. I mean, so that year he was sixth man of the year, really just elevated his the rest of his NBA career, right? Because it was the the 94 and the 95 championship years that Jordan missed, isn't it? Uh, I'm not entirely I think sure. those are the years. Uh, because the one year, it had to have been, because that was uh, the 95 <clears throat> finals is the one that got interrupted by the famous uh, OJ. Oh. And I think yeah. that was the Knicks and the Rockets if I remember correctly, because the Rockets won both of those titles those two years, if I remember right. Yeah. So, that, that, so I mean, my point was what I was trying to get at is that there was kind of like this absence of the Bulls. So we were looking at other teams other for the teams. first time in a few years, and the Knicks, the Rockets, uh, the Trailblazers come to mind as well as kind of being the preeminent teams of that kind of that, that gap there. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right. Now, I mean, by all accounts of my standards, I was nothing but a – <clears throat> a glimpse in the, the yeah the light of life at this point but right. uh yeah so that's basically going to wrap up uh this episode said we're going to keep this one short uh you got any final thoughts here tj to kind of wrap this up no not really uh just hope everyone like always stays safe and uh hopefully we can get through this and actually get to see some live sports here i, I know uh 
auto racing doesn't count to you. <laughs> Soccer doesn't count to the most popular sport in the world doesn't count to a lot of people. But I think we want to get back to those old familiar things of basketball, hockey, yeah, you know, uh, baseball. You know, hopefully we'll get some football this fall as well. Absolutely. Uh, I know I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we will not will not have an episode this this coming week. Um, taking that time to do some things behind the scenes with the show and also we're gonna we're gonna hope to you know in the near future have maybe two interviews um during the podcast so we're gonna be trying to get a list of interviews here lined up uh as we've had some great ones here over the last i've had a lot of fun with them over the last five six episodes i I Um, think we could get coach nut to come back and and talk again he was he was really excited to be here it was it was a lot of fun yeah, very we're thankful good. for all of our guests that have given us their time. Absolutely. So we're gonna get some more interviews lined up here and do some stuff behind the scenes, and we hope uh, you know the adjustments that'll be made will be uh, very beneficial. So with that, that'll wrap up episode eleven here on View of the Valleys for TJ Hoover. I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.